if you don't want to take this next step forward, if you believe that the structure of where you are is such that you don't have the room or the upside to do so, and you want to stay there, then quit whining. Because you just told me what you want to do. So quit whining. <laughs> but if you want to feel alive and contribute and feel the, the magical urgency of now, then it's a choice. And it's a choice if you're a waiter and if you're a doctor and a nurse, and it's a choice if you're a teacher. So I haven't met anybody who doesn't have the choice. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Caligiuri. On this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing that book down to its core golden nuggets, bringing the author on the show to have a conversation about the golden nuggets. And I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Now, I got to encourage all of you, please go online, go to LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and give yours truly a follow. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram. That's where I'm most active. But again, when you connect with me, please just let me know that you found me through the podcast just so I know who's out there listening. Again, every single week I'm floored with how many people reach out. I mean, we're reaching into the thousands here, especially on LinkedIn. So it's really nice to see people connecting. So keep it up. If you haven't connected with me, go ahead and do that. Also, you know how the next spiel goes. Every single week, I ask you guys to rate and review the show, and many of you have already done that months ago, and if you have, thank you so much, but for those of you who haven't, then please go ahead, rate and review the show, whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, doesn't matter, whatever you're listening on, rate and review the show, take a screen capture of your rating, of your review, send it to podcast at ryancalajury.com, and I'll make sure you get entered into the draw every quarter for a brand new prize, and of course, this quarter's prize... You know what we're giving away. Either an Amazon Echo, Google Home, or Apple HomePod. And of course, I picked a winner from those of you who have already rated and reviewed the show. And this quarter's prize goes to none other than somebody from Stockholm, Sweden. And the winner is Tristan Van Ginkel. So Tristan, thank you so much for your rating, for your review. And I will be in touch with you very shortly. I haven't been in touch with you yet. I know this is airing, but I'll send you an email and you let me know what you want. Either the Google Home, Apple HomePod, or the Amazon Echo. And I will send that off to you, care of Amazon. So very easy. If you haven't done it, then please go online, rate and review the show. and make sure you get entered into the draw every quarter for a brand new prize. And of course, even Tristan's able to win again uh, next quarter. All right, everyone. I'm really excited about this one. We have on a, a remarkable man. Seth Godin. And Seth Godin's here talking about Lynchpin. Are you indispensable? Now, this book's a little bit older. I believe this one was published back in 2011. But still, this one to me is timeless. Because the things that he talks about in here, they're never going to go away. We're always going to have these issues. We're always going to have this doubt in our head, this, these questions of what we're doing. Is it worth my time? Am I creating art? Am I challenging the status quo? Am I a cog in the wheel or am I a Lynchpin? If you don't know the answer to that question, then I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're listening because this conversation with Seth Godin was really awesome. And I'm not going to go into detail in terms of how impactful Seth has been on my career. I'll talk a little bit about that in the podcast with Seth on here. But this was a great episode and I was very grateful to have Seth on the show, somebody who at a very young age um, impacted me with his books. And as I continue to read books, 
it just got me deeper into thinking about how I should be as a marketer, how I should think differently. And I really hope that if you haven't read anything by Seth Godin, if you haven't read Lynchpin, that this perhaps is an introduction to Seth, some of the philosophies he brings to the table, and how he challenges the status quo with some of his books, with some of his ideologies. In any case, enough jibber-jabber from me. This was one of my most favorite podcasts to do. Like I said, it was such an honor having Seth on the show. So please, give this one a listen. Listen to it once, listen to it twice. A lot of great takeaways from here. This is Seth Godin's Lynchpin. Are you indispensable? I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Hey, Seth, how you doing this morning? Fantastic, but getting better. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, it's a true pleasure having you on the show, Seth. To kick things off, I want to give you a little bit of background here. So I, I did a survey on our audience a few months back, and I received around 5,000 different responses about the kinds of challenges that Cut the Crap Podcast Nation is having. And one of the top issues faced by our audience is not doing work they're passionate about, work they care about, work that inspires them. So one respondent actually even went as far as saying that work robbed her of her joy, it robbed her of her creativity and her heart. So when I saw this, it was upsetting. And I knew that with the platform that I have, I had to do something to help change this, to help improve some of these situations. And the first book that came to my mind was, was Lynchpin. And Lynchpin had a tremendous impact on my life. And rereading it, it reminded me of how important the book is and I promised myself that I would bring this forward and I would put this in front of as many people as possible because I know that it does have the power to change people's lives. So before we get into the golden nuggets, I want to ask you something. You said that Lynchpin was the only book that when you were done writing it, it brought tears to your eyes. Why is that? Because it's personal without being about me. Uh, that we have some confusion in our culture about this vulnerability theater and this idea that we have to expose everything about our personal lives in order to get attention. I don't have any patience for that. Um, but in the case of Lynchpin, what I was trying to do in that book is talk from my softest spot about the work that matters to me and to what I believe so many other people are wrestling with. And in that sense, it's personal. It's personal because it's about the relationship between you and your work, between you and your life. It's timely when, I mean, you wrote this book, what is it, seven, eight years ago? It was quite a while yeah. ago. And I find that now, even more so, it's, it's more timely. And this really kicks us into the episode here with Golden Nugget, Golden Nugget number one, and that there is less room for instruction followers on the job today than at any other time in history. Now, this is an absolutely critical point to kick off the show with because today, businesses and people, they face a significant threat. You're looking at robotics. AI, machine learning, more sophisticated technology that is taking, um, that's taking people's jobs away from them. I mean, you look at grocery stores, they're moving to self-checkout lines, making cashiers less valuable. Fast food chains like McDonald's, for example, they're implementing self-serve stations and even using robotics to prepare drinks. And you look at the transportation industry, you have autonomous vehicles taking jobs away from drivers, manufacturing industry, which, you know, jobs been disappearing at an alarming rate over the last 10 years. So my question for you is, how did this happen? I mean, I know that technology is a part of it, but as a human race, how did we get led astray? Well, here's the good news. The good news is that uh, the Cut the Crap Nation, the people who are voluntarily listening to this podcast, are not doing it because there will be a test. There will be no quiz. There is no prize. It is not required. Most people don't act that way. Mm. Most people 
are driven from a simple question, which is, will this be on the test? Is this what my boss wants me to do? What's the minimum? Where did we learn that? Well, we learned it in school. And school was invented by industrialists. It was invented by Andrew Carnegie and supported by the Henry Fords of the world so that the supply of compliant factory workers would be sufficient. Because if there's enough of them, you don't have to pay them as much. And industrialism, which is not that old, industrialism is based on compliant factory workers doing what they are told, not as craftspeople, but as someone who takes widget number seven and plugs it into hole number six and seals it up or moves the French fries from one bin to another bin. And that's what we got trained to do. That's what school is for. And I think it's urgent to understand, particularly if you're a parent, that that was important, but now it's not. And that, in fact, the biggest advantage our country has, if you're a nationalist, is that our school isn't as good at making conforming, compliant people as schools in other countries. And the race to the bottom is to find the cheapest possible people who will do what they're told. And if you get in the race to the bottom, you might win, which is really bad. Uh, the alternative is to race to the top. And we do that in a different way. We do that by doing work that can't be written down, by doing work where we're doing it for reasons other than there's going to be a test. Hmm. I love what you said in the book about comparing the old American dream to the new American dream. The old American dream, it was about keeping your head down following instructions, showing up on time, working hard, and just sucking it up. The new American dream, it's about being remarkable. It's about being generous, creating art, making judgment calls, and connecting people with ideas. So this is our new reality, and the one that markets around the world are strongly embracing. And if I were all you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation listening today, that's the kind of world that I want to be in. It's a world where you need to find out how to be indispensable. Which really leads us to our next golden nugget here, which is one of the biggest themes from the book. Golden nugget number two is become a linchpin to make yourself indispensable. So there are a lot of people out there who show up to work every single day for X amount of hours in exchange for a paycheck. Pretty simple system they have. But the problem is, and as we've noticed through the survey, is that they don't love their work. It's robbing them of their joy. It's frustrating. It's irritating. And as a result, they don't give it their best effort either. It's like we have a, a nation of drones going into work every day and millions upon millions of people face this reality every day, which makes way for what you call the linchpins, those who are indispensable. So Seth, maybe you can introduce us to this term linchpin for people who are unfamiliar with it and why they're indispensable and then maybe talk about how we can become a linchpin. Well, if you look at a wagon from an old Western, you'll see that they had four wooden wheels and to connect the wooden wheel to the axle they would put a pin in there, and it's called the linchpin, L-I-N-C-H-P-I-N. And the linchpin, not very big, but very important. If the linchpin's missing, the wheel falls off. The thing is, and I, my heart goes out to that woman you quoted earlier in the episode, the thing is, we volunteer to not be linchpins. We volunteer to get a job at the placement office to go to a place where we're supposed to do what we are told. We volunteer, and the reason is because we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust ourselves to take the responsibility. We don't trust ourselves to raise our hand. We don't trust ourselves to do something that's not in the manual. And my argument and the work of 
the last seven years, and the Alt-MBA, which is the seminar I run, is 100% about shifting that. It's not that we don't want meaning from work. All of us want meaning from work. It's that we are afraid to embrace the consequences of accepting that mantle of being a linchpin. We don't want to be on the hook because we're worried that we'll let everybody down. So it's easier to say, hey, I'm just doing my job. Hey, that's what you told me to do. Hey, it's the boss's fault. And linchpins don't say that. Hmm. So you're saying that linchpins, again, they don't follow the status quo. So instead they challenge the status quo. Well, how do they challenge the status quo? Paint a picture for us. Well, the question is, what's the work for? Why am I here at McDonald's or 7-Eleven? Why am I here at Aetna Insurance or reading x-rays for a patient? If what the work is for is to please the boss and to do what I did yesterday, but faster and cheaper, then you are embracing the idea of being a cog in the system. But maybe, just maybe, the work is to serve the customer. Mm. And if you can accept the responsibility to serve the customer, then you get to say, how could I serve the customer better? How could this system be improved? What would happen if instead of physical labor, digging ditches, moving boxes, moving keystrokes, I did emotional labor. And so if we pick a high-end job like being a doctor, what we see is that over the last 40 years, doctors eagerly were complicit in mechanizing and industrializing medicine. That difficult conversations with patients got moved to the back burner because they're easier to avoid than a lab test. Hmm. So go ahead and hide in the back room and order another lab test as opposed to sitting down with someone filling the space between you, inviting them to talk and discovering what's really going on. And it's easy for a doctor to say, well, it's not my fault. The system forced me to do that. But no system forced 600,000 American doctors to do that. It's our desire to get an A in organic chemistry, to get into a famous medical school, to get the residency we desire so that we can keep fitting in and moving on up. And to me, it seems like a lot of this is taking the safe road out. And that kind of brings us into our next golden nugget. But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. This question has only one answer and one answer only. Seth, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, I think the traditional answer is to get to the other side. Also, because the lizard brain told us to. There you go. (laughs) So the lizard brain, this idea of the lizard brain that you talk about, and really, I, I feel like you made this famous. And, and obviously, the lizard brain, um, many people have heard about it, but it plays a significant role um, in becoming a linchpin. The lizard brain is hungry. It's scared. It's angry. It's horny. The lizard brain only wants to eat, and it only wants to be safe. It's the source of resistance. So tell us a little bit more about the lizard brain, what it is, and help us understand how to quiet the lizard brain. Well, let's think about wild animals first. Uh, Foxes and skunks and hornets and roaches. All wild animals are the same. And they're the same in the sense that their brain is instantly reacting to everything that's happening around it. Well, we have that same brain, but we've added stuff on the outside over time. We've evolved to have a narrative. We've evolved to have good taste. We've evolved to care about other things. But at the heart of our brain, right next to our spinal cord, is the amygdala, two almond-sized bits of brain that are responsible for getting the hell out of here. They're responsible for 
breaking into a cold sweat before you even realize why. And that lizard brain takes over when we least need it to. It takes over and gives us writer's block. It takes over and gets us uh, to get in a fight that gets us kicked off an airplane and on and on and on. Understanding that we have this part of our brain helps us manage it. It helps us do the other work, the work we know is important. And Steve Pressfield has called these behaviors resistance. The resistance is the thing that gently pushes us to avoid things. The resistance, for example, does not want us to acknowledge that we have a lizard brain. The resistance is the one that says, I don't really feel like doing that extra bit of work. Why? Well, the reason you don't feel like it isn't that you're lazy. The reason you don't feel like it is that you're afraid. And the reason you're afraid is because you might get in trouble. And getting in trouble could cost you your job. And then you get kicked out of the village. And then you don't have any children. And then your genes aren't passed on. And then you die. And so we go from, oh, there's my boss's phone number on my phone to I'm going to die. And our brain can do that in two quick jumps. And so our job, if we seek to do this important work, is to acknowledge that we have a lizard brain, to realize that we cannot make it go away. We cannot make that noise in our head disappear. But what we can do is dance with it. Hmm. Knowing that the lizard brain exists is actually quite empowering because you know that it's there. You know that it's holding you back. But the challenge is we're still living in a world, Seth, where, you know, we want, well, not we, but a lot of businesses out there, they just want rule followers. And so there's not a lot, maybe there's not a lot of opportunity for linchpins is what a lot of people out there are thinking. But I think if somebody were to ask you that question, you would disagree with it. And you would say, I love that question. Thank you for teeing it up. First of all, yes, there is a demand for cogs. That doesn't mean you have to be one, Mm -hmm. but there's a demand for it. There's also a demand for people who work in a crematorium, but you don't work there either. Number two is what separates people who feel like linchpins from those that don't. It doesn't have to do with industry. There was a a story circulated a couple months ago about a woman who has served more cups of coffee at 7-Eleven than anybody else. Mm. She's in her 70s, I believe. She loves her job. Mm. She is not a cog in the 7-Eleven factory system. She knows the names of every person who comes in every morning for a cup of coffee. She engages with them as a human. Could they build a self-service machine that can de- that can dispense coffee? Of course, they've had vending machines forever. Could they replace her? Absolutely not. They can't replace her because the vending machine couldn't possibly make you feel as good in the morning as she does. Hmm. And so my argument isn't that special people get special jobs and then you're lucky. My argument is there are as many people at movie studios and other and Google who are busy following the rules as there are people who work, you know, at a car company. It's not about where you work. It's about your decision about how you will bring labor and responsibility, emotional labor and responsibility to your job. When we talk about creating art and we talk about this idea of being linchpins, to a lot of them they feel like it's it doesn't apply to me, Ryan. It doesn't apply to me, Seth. This is only for marketers. It's for creative people. I'm not a creative person. That's not for me. Here's a great setup. Thank you. Here we go. Ready? Let's go. You work at a, an accounting firm and there are 80 partners. Now, I come to the firm 
I'm some mysterious uh, multimillionaire from Switzerland, and I say to you, hey, Bob, uh, I've got a bunch of money. We're going to start a new accounting firm. You're going to be the lead partner. You get to take any six people from the firm with you. In fact, I don't just say it to Bob. I say it to all 80 people at the firm. I say, make a list of the six people that if you were leaving here, you'd want to take with you. Now, here's my question. Answer me honestly, Ms. Accountant or Mr. Accountant. How many of the 80 people would put your name on their list of six? Second half of the question. Are there people in the firm you would imagine are on lots of people's lists? Last question. What's the difference? What's the difference between someone who shows up on everyone's list and someone who shows up on no one's list? Is it that you work more hours? Is it that you can do double entry bookkeeping faster? I don't think so. I think the person who shows up on everyone's list is a human, a linchpin, a connector, generous, somebody who understands how to talk to a client to get her to change her mind before she makes a mistake. All of those things. That's what accounting is. Accounting isn't something that I can scan into a, uh, an AI and have it come up with the answer. Hmm. Accounting is how do I dance with my clients to get them to do the right thing. And that really leads us to the next golden nugget where we talk about this idea of artists. So golden nugget number four is that true artists, they don't tinker. They ship. So artists, they don't worry about having bad ideas that turn into failures because they know that as long as they continue to produce art, good ideas will be made. And the fact that some failures will come about, to them, it's just an inevitable part of, uh, part of success. So many people who are listening, uh, many of us, we tinker too long, we edit, we wait. You say that to be an artist, to be a linchpin, we need to ship. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about this idea of shipping more frequently. Well, one thing they taught you in school is that an A is better than a B and that eliminating mistakes is a key part of your job. And you probably learned that from your first, second, and third job as well, that the only feedback you usually get is you made a mistake. So we try to avoid that feedback. However... When I think about the heroes that have changed your world, whether they're musical heroes, uh, creative heroes, or leaders, what they all have in common is they're wrong and they're wrong and they're wrong until one day they're right. And that the people who fail the most win. And that is hard to swallow. That's why almost no one's a linchpin. That's why almost no one's an artist. Because you don't know. You cannot tell in advance if something is a great work of art. You cannot tell in advance if something is going to work for sure. If you're sure it's going to work, it's probably mediocre and it's going to be a single. But all bestsellers are surprise bestsellers. They're surprise bestsellers because if we were sure of it, someone would have done it before you. Hmm. And when you talk about people who, who ship, a great example that you told in the book is that Picasso. Now, for all of you out there listening to Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, how many paintings of Picassos can you all name out there? Maybe two, maybe three. Well, it's funny, but Picasso actually painted over 1,000 works of art. He did what many of us struggled to do. Picasso shipped, and he shipped often. And the challenge here, I think, is that when you think about shipping, when we say things like art, we call people artists, we lose a lot of people. 
And when I have conversations with people about becoming a linchpin or about the book linchpin, and they say it doesn't apply to them, I'm glad you told that story about the accountant. But then when we talk about shipping, what do you say to the person out there who's listening to, to this right now? And, and we, they kind of feel like we lost them because they said, well, ship, like, what do you mean shipping, Ryan? What do you mean by shipping, Seth? Like, I have a job to do and I go in and I do it every single day. I feel like you're missing the point then in that case. Uh, so, Seth, how would you respond to an individual out there who has that question, who has that problem circulating in their brain right now? To be really clear, I have never proposed that people ship crap, that shipping work that is defective when you are wearing the hat of a cog is unacceptable, that if a right answer is available, we need to ship it. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is there is something the accountant or the lawyer or the actuary needs to say, wants to say to their boss, to their coworker, and hasn't said it. Why? Right? Why? Why is it that the A performers are able to engage around ideas and new work in ways that the Bs and the Cs can't? It's not about mediocrity. It's about fear. What would it mean to engage with somebody else in a way that could change them? So, in, you know, in the Alt-MBA, which I've devoted the last couple of years of my life to building, there's no videos. We don't lecture people. We have 13 projects that are designed to let people practice this act of open empathy and engaging with the possibility that maybe we could put something in the world that isn't tested yet. And so the quality keeps going up. Quality is a very specific word. It means meeting specifications. If there are specifications, you better meet them. But what I know is that when it comes to giving a speech or writing a book or having a meeting with a client, there are no specifications. All there are are, are, are audacious goals. And that's available to all of us. When I think about this a little bit more, I mean, this goes into gold at nugget number five. And I'll just break into it now because this to me is where I think it starts to click for a lot of people. People who might be confused about what a linchpin is, how they can become a linchpin. They think it's not, it's not for them. Take personal responsibility. Challenge the status quo. Change people. Create art. So art, as you define it, Seth, is the intentional act of using your humanity to create a change in another person. So with that definition, it should empower everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation to create art. But I'm sure many of you out there, you know, you probably still associate that word to pictures on a canvas in a gallery somewhere. But that's a very small view of what art is. So, Seth, can you help listeners out there understand what art truly is? Yeah, I'll go after art and then I'll go after responsibility. So art. Jackson Pollock was an artist. He changed everything for contemporary art. But Jackson Pollock had a brother, and his brother's name was Charles Pollock. And Charles Pollock was not an artist, he was a painter. Charles Pollock copied the work of his teacher, Thomas Hart Benton. No new style, just painting. And in fact, in Dauphin, China, a village outside of Shenzhen, where I've been, they paint one third of all the oil paintings in the world over and over and over again as fast as they can. This is not art, it's just painting. So. Already, we've distinguished between the craft and the risk. But my definition of art, it's easy to broaden it to Shakespeare. He was clearly an artist. But why can't I broaden it to, I don't know, pick your famous entrepreneur of the day? 
Sheryl Sandberg or, or Elon Musk. They're artists. They're out on a limb. They're doing original work that changes other people. <clears throat> but I can go even further. The veterinarian who took care of my dog last week, she didn't have to talk to me the way she did. She didn't have to take the extra 45 seconds to engage with me and the dog to create a placebo-like environment that would make both of us feel better. That's also art. The challenge isn't that we can't make art. The challenge is that we don't want to be responsible. The thing is, authority is in short supply. You don't, you're not going to get someone to anoint you and make you king. You're not going to get six levels of promotion. Not going to happen. But responsibility, there's an unlimited amount of responsibility up for offer at your job. If you go to people and say, yep, I screwed up. If you go to people and say, this is on me. If you go to people and say, I'll handle it, they'll give you an unlimited amount of rope to do that. But people are afraid. We're afraid of responsibility. Responsibility is not given, it's taken. And so the home run, the platinum nugget from this session the two of us are having is what this is really a conversation about is responsibility. Mm. And that's a really funny thing to mention because I think a lot of people out there listening would say, well, listen, Seth, listen, Ryan, I, I get it. You're saying linchpins, they, they challenge status quo. You know, They take responsibility, they change people, they create art. I get it, that's great. But I'm sorry, but that doesn't fall within my roles and responsibilities that I signed a contract for when I joined this firm, when I joined this company. Linchpins, in my opinion, and you can disagree with me, Seth, we don't follow uh, the roles and responsibilities necessary. If we work in a small business as a marketing associate or as a sales professional and we see problems, we want to take part in that. We want to fix them. We want to create change. Is that true? Well, I would say if you don't want to take this next step forward, if you believe that the structure of where you are is such that you don't have the room or the upside to do so, and you want to stay there, then quit whining. Because you just told me what you want to do. So quit whining. <laughs> but if you want to feel alive and contribute and feel the, the magical urgency of now, then it's a choice. And it's a choice if you're a waiter and if you're a doctor and a nurse, and it's a choice if you're a teacher. So I haven't met anybody who doesn't have the choice. This idea of becoming an artist, to me, it's, it's empowering to a person like me. But I have friends, I have family members, I have colleagues who are happy being cogs. And you said that earlier. You said it's fine. If, if that's what you truly want to do, then that's great. And you wrote the book for, for people who want to be artists, who want to create, who want to challenge the status quo. And to me, reading the book, again, it, it reminds me of the importance of the work that I do and the mission that I'm on. And to me, it's really important. But for those individuals out there who, you know, they, they, they perhaps are cogs right now, but they want to start challenging the status quo, they want to start creating art, what kind of advice can you give to that person right now who is listening? They're inspired and they say, you know what? I've had enough. They're right. You know, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing right now and I want to move forward in that direction. What kind of advice can you give them to prepare them for that next step? It's two simple things. One, begin. No more planning, begin. But the second part is as small as you can. Mm. Do not go to the boss and say, we're going to rebuild everything. Do not quit your <laughs> job. Do not take some giant leap. Small. 
Be a linchpin to the bus driver on your commute home tonight. Be a linchpin to your kids for 10 minutes. Be a linchpin to one student in the back of your class for five minutes. Small, small, small. Do not expect it to work right away. It might not work ever, but the journey is worth it. And the journey is in incremental steps. What's the smallest viable market of people that I can change? How can I do the things that I am afraid of? How can I raise my hand just a little bit higher, sing just a little bit louder or sweeter? Because I can, not because it's my job. Hmm. Do you find, again, while at the very beginning of the episode, I, I did paint a very bleak picture about how the industry is going, you know, mass digitization, lots of jobs being lost. But at the same time, we're seeing a lot of people out there creating art. They're going out there. Yes, they have their nine to five where perhaps they are cogs in that wheel. But outside the nine to five, they're working on their side projects and their side projects. I'm telling you, if you gave them the option to do that full time, they absolutely would. They're creating art. And to me, I start to see that a little bit more frequently. I, I frequent a lot of these um, local shows where people are creating pillows. They're creating uh, signs. They're creating dog collars. They're creating soap. And this to them is, is, is what they love doing. So yes, you give us examples in terms of how you can start taking baby steps to start becoming a linchpin, to start you know doing what you can to move in this direction. But then there's people out there who are you know running their side business and they find a lot of passion there. What kind of advice do you give to those people where yes, they're working the nine to five, but they're also working on their their art on the side. Is that okay? I mean, to have that balance. Yes, I'm a cog, but at the same time, I'm a linchpin. Does that exist? Is that possible? Well, of course it's okay. If it's working, it's okay. <clears throat> and I think it's totally true that every linchpin, every single one, is a cog some of the time. That it's, This is not one or the other. Mm -hmm. This is about how we choose to dance with our fear. The one thing that I would challenge a little bit is that most people, not all, but most people who are showing stuff at a craft fair are not making art. Mm. They are doing something that is reasonably safe. Their chances of failure that someone is going to see your embroidered pillow or see your hand carved sign and attack you as a fraud, attack you as somebody who has no business doing this work. <clears throat> The chances of that happening are close to zero. Hmm. And what I am arguing an artist does is personal work that hasn't been done before. Hmm. So the art of building a business around being able to make pillows full time, that feels to me more <laughs> like art than buying a kit from Michael's and making a pillow. <laughs> so I'm glad if people are happy with their hobby. I'm not criticizing hobbies at all. What I'm trying to get at is all of us feel the resistance. All of us have that noise in our head. What do you do when you hear it? Hmm. And the act of this artist is, oh, it's a compass. It's telling me not to do that risky thing, not to play covers, but to do original work. I will do the opposite. I will, I will ignore what it wants me to hide from and instead do that thing because that feeling, that feeling of being alive, that feeling of this might not work, that's critical. This might not work is the watchword 
of a linchpin who's trying to do this generous connection. I'm really, really happy that you made that distinction because there's a lot of people out there who would read this book and they would say that, hey, my, my side hustle on the side, man, that's how I'm creating art. That's how I'm becoming a linchpin. But I'm glad you made the distinction to say that, listen, if what you're creating is not remarkable, it's, it's not worth remarking on, then, you know, is that work that's truly challenging the status quo? Are you afraid to do that work? Are you afraid to ship that? To me, I, I don't think that if you walk through a lot of these fairs or, or you walk through a lot of these, these shows, I would argue that a lot of them perhaps are playing it safe and maybe they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Maybe they're doing it just to, to make a little money on the side. And if that's what you're doing, then, then by all means. But there was a book that you wrote many, many years ago, and it was actually my first introduction to you, Seth, was uh, Free Prize Inside. And, mm-hmm. and I tell this story on the podcast quite a bit, and I tell this story to, to people when I, when I speak to them quite often because it, it had a tremendous impact on my life where the organization that I was working with at the time, this was back in 2007 where you know the financial industry started to go under, and this company that I was working with, they had very little um, uh, clients outside the financial industry. So what do you think happened? They laid off a whole bunch of people. Sure. And so when they laid off a whole bunch of people, that was my first introduction to, you know, some of the sadness that happens in business. So I saw a lot of friends and and colleagues get walked out crying and I sat there worrying about them, wondering what would happen to them, what would happen to their families, how this would impact their lives. I, I couldn't fathom that, you know, young guy coming up in business. And so at the end of the day, I, I stayed in the office. I was the last one in the office. All the lights shut off. And as I was walking through, you know, I would look at all the, the cubicles and the offices of the people who who were once there and, you know, it, it was very eerie because, you know, oatmeal bowls, they started to make their breakfast first thing in the morning and then they were taken out, were still there. And I walked into this woman's office who, who was laid off and I always walked into her office and we didn't talk that often. And she had this book in a cereal box on her bookshelf <laughs> and it stood out to me. It stood out uh, across all the other books on her shelf. And so I walked in there and I took the book off the shelf and I opened the box and I took the, the 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 book out and a superhero on the front that says free prize inside. The colors, the the packaging, the book itself, the title, everything stood out to me. And I flipped through it really quickly and I put it back on her bookshelf and later I took her to coffee and uh, I said, hey, you know, I, I saw this book on your bookshelf, free prize inside. I'm like, very interesting. I'm like, Who, who's that by? She goes, oh my God, Ryan. She goes, if you haven't heard of Seth Godin, you have to read him. This is your kind of guy. This is your kind of book. And I laughed. And so later on, she called me. And she says, hey, can you meet me really quickly just for five minutes? Yeah, for sure. So I met her for five minutes and she got out of her car and she goes, here, this is for you. She goes, you're going to need this in your career. And she was maybe about 55 years old. She goes, I'm, I'm close to retiring. She goes, but this is something I think could make a really big impact in your life. And I get cold shivers telling this story because it gets me very emotional because wow. this was a moment in my life where, where I knew after reading your book, um, that I could achieve more. I could do more. I could challenge more. And that really is what spurred me on in my career to become an entrepreneur and to open my own consultancy and to believe in what I believe and to push the status quo and really challenge organizations. And it got me started on the rest of your books from, you know, Free Prize Inside to The Dip to All Marketers Are Liars, All Marketers Are Storytellers. There are so many different threads that get sewed between each of your books. And that moment in time for me is something that will always stand out for me. To the day I die, I will always remember that story because it had such an impact on my career. And if I hadn't read that book, I don't know where I'd be today. I'd probably be a cog in the wheel, maybe not very happy. 
um, I probably wouldn't have created this podcast. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Wow. Yeah, I'm very moved by that. Thank you so much. Thanks for building a podcast. I know it's not easy. I have one now too. And uh, it's super generous of you. And your words mean a lot to me. Thank you for making this ruckus. So to finish up here, Seth, our last golden nugget. This is something I think that applies to a lot of marketers who are listening out there who are creating stuff. They're creating projects, eBooks, what have you. And golden nugget number six, it says to succeed today, you must give people genuine gifts. So genuine gifts given with good intention and zero expectations are becoming a winning tactic. It is a winning tactic. And what you mean by genuine gifts is giving away your best work for free. You think about who's doing this right now, and you mentioned you know, entrepreneurs. I think of Gary Vaynerchuk, where he's a great example of somebody who gives away his best work for free, and he talks about it publicly. So instead of asking for money in exchange for his Snapchat ebook, you know, how to use Snapchat, the best ways to do it, he gives it away for free, which makes many people see it and appreciate his unique skills and so much more. So for all the people out there who are listening right now and they don't believe in giving away their best work for free, what do you say to them to enlighten them, to uh, introduce them to a different worldview or to convince them that giving away their best work for free is a good idea? Oh, there's a lot of nuance here and I'll do my best to cover it. Uh, The first thing is when I talk about gifts, I'm referring to gifts in the sense that Lewis Hyde, who wrote a beautiful book called The Gift, talks about it. That there is something in humanity that is an urge for reciprocity. That when someone gives us something, they open a door for us, we race to open the door for them next. That we don't like to leave it imbalanced, even with a stranger. And some marketers have used that, weaponized it, to build a business. Uh, That I'll give you this gift, but the expectation is that if you're a, 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 a normal human, you will reciprocate by giving me attention or trust or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about when I write about gifts. Mm-hmm. I am talking about the other kind of gift where we are merely contributing with zero expectation of a return, that we are feeding the culture because feeding the culture is a privilege, the end, period. Mm-hmm. Now. When we think about a digital world, it is tempting to say that in all situations, we should, quote, give away our best work for free. I'm not sure that that's the case. Hmm. I think that, A, you're going to have to get paid in order to be able to make a living. You're going to have to get paid in order to bring resources to bear. But number two, there are lots of places where people want to pay you because paying you actually makes things better. And this kind of virtuous cycle of the act of paying, creating value is essential. So, for example, I've written 7,000 blog posts. They are free. Hmm. I've posted hundreds of videos. They are free. But if you want me to get on an airplane and come to your city and do a speech for your organization, it's incredibly expensive Mm -hmm. because I only do it 12 times a year. And if you don't want it, that's okay with me because there are plenty of people who do. And one of the reasons they want it is so that they can demonstrate to the people in the room that they respect the people in the room enough to pay me to come. And so I'm not sure that my best work is what I do in that hour on stage, but it's certainly my scarcest work, my most precious work. 
It's the work that almost no one can have. And you should charge for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor, you should not spend all day doing your work for free. But, and it's a big but, if you have a contribution, then sharing it with the culture is part of your obligation and it also has significant upsides. So there's a, for example, a blog called the Duets blog about trademark law. And I read it all the time. And it doesn't take the lawyer who writes it uh, very long to create what he's doing. That Steve understands trademark law. He sees something in the news. He writes something about it. He is giving a gift to people he will never meet. He's not giving the gift because he wants them to become clients. He's giving the gift because making trademark law more clear makes everyone's life better. Hmm. There is a side effect a significant side effect, which is if you are looking for a trademark lawyer, you should hire Steve Baird because he's in public doing his work. He's not going to screw you over. He is on the cutting edge. He needs to to do his work. And it works. He gets clients because he writes the blog, but he doesn't write the blog to get clients. Hmm. And I think that dichotomy is really important. Hmm. I'm really glad that you crystallized that point with an example. And I think that it says it for itself. There's an opportunity here for everybody, everybody, to create art and to contribute to society. And if you're sitting out there right now and you're listening and you're saying to us, hey, Seth, Ryan, wait, are you saying that I have to stop following instructions and start being an artist? Are you saying that I have to be someone who dreams up new ideas and makes them real? Are you saying that I need to be someone who finds new ways to interact, new pathways to deliver emotion, new ways to connect? Seth Ryan, are you guys saying that I need to be someone who acts like a human, not a cog? Me? Seth, on the count of three, we're both going to answer those questions with one word. Three, two, one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because you can, because it's what you want to do. Not because I said so. Well, Seth, it's an absolute honor having you on the show. Your body of work, it continues to inspire me. It continues to make a positive impact on our world. Without you, so many of us would be drones. We'd be unhappy. We'd be putting no heart into our work. So it's my hope that millions out there will listen to this. They'll pick up your book for the first time or they'll brush the dust off their old copy of Lynchpin and remind themselves why they bought it in the first place and to inspire them to change for the better, not only for themselves and their family, but for their community and for the world. So um, Seth, Thank you so much once again for making time for everyone out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. It's a privilege. Keep making your ruckus, everybody. Thank you. All right, there we have it. That is Seth Godin, Lynchpin. Are you indispensable? What a treat having Seth on the show. There's moments in your life where you'll never forget. And I'll never forget the conversation that I had with Seth before and after the podcast. And of course, just talking to Seth during the podcast. When I started this thing two years ago, I didn't think I'd have an opportunity to talk to people like Seth and connect with different authors like Seth Godin, Dan Pink, Mark Manson, all these individuals, all these, these great authors, these people who have such great ideas and things to teach. It's such a treat for me to have to, an opportunity to talk to all of them and of course, be a conduit for them and bring all this information to you every single week. And you know that's what I'm trying to do every single week. I'm trying to bring you information that sparks change in your life and a book like Lynchpin, a guy like Seth Godin, an interview like this, can absolutely do that. So I hope this was impactful for you. I hope that you learned something from it. And of course, I just hope that you take something from it. You change your life, you change your career, you change an aspect of your career as a result. 
If you enjoyed this episode, then of course, please go online, rate and review the show. Whatever you're listening on, SoundCloud, Overcast, Stitcher, iTunes, doesn't matter. Rate and review the show. Take a screen capture of your rating, of your review. Send it to podcast at ryancalajury.com and I'll make sure you get entered into the draw every single quarter for a brand new prize, just like my good friend Tristan Van Ginkle did. He has already won himself a great prize and uh, I'll be sending that off to him. But of course, I don't know what I'm giving away this quarter. I will let you know in the weeks to come when I figure it out. But of course, it's going to be a kick-ass prize as usual. Also, don't forget to get online, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, connect with me. And when you do, please let me know that you found me through the podcast, just so I know how you found me. In any case, anyone, again, this was a great week, Easter week, and uh, of course, a great podcast, a great guest, a great book. I highly encourage all of you to go out and pick up Lynchpin if you haven't read it yet. It's one of those transformative books that I think can leave a lasting impression on your life. But my friends, until next week, I will be back here with a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, and of course, an interview with an author. And you know that I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have yourselves an awesome, inspired week. And I'll catch you back here next week, everybody. I love you guys. Kyle, I just, I just want you to shoot me real quick. Because I wanted you to hear this too, because you're my nephew. So a dude uh, screamed to me the other night, Hey, Will, I want to be an actor, man. I want to be an actor just like you. You know, usually people say stuff to me like that. I'm like, yeah, man, you know, you can do it. Just give them an encouraging word. But I was just sitting in here thinking, and it dawned on me, 99% of people that say stuff like that are not willing to do what it takes to make their dreams come true. The Marines have a saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's just real. At the center of bringing any dream into fruition is self-discipline. You know, some, something as simple as food and eating, it, it's not about your, your body as much as it is about your mind. It's getting command of your mind to be able to choose actions that are in your own best interest. Every day, we are choosing shit that's not in our own best interest, right? So if the world is attacking you and the world wants to fight you and the world's trying to hold you down, so you're going to kick yourself in the balls? So you're going to stop yourself from getting what you dream. Self-discipline is the center of all material success. You cannot win the war against the world if you can't win the war against your own mind.